Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. I'm Allison Langer, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. I'm Andrea Askowitz. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. (laughs) There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today on our show, we're talking about abortions. We believe that abortion has to be safe and legal. And the more we talk openly about abortion and tell our stories, the more likely we are to get there. And that's why we think abortion stories matter. This episode was inspired by what happened in Alabama last May 2019 and the long string of other restrictive abortion laws before that. In May, Alabama passed a law saying anyone who performs an abortion in the state could get 99 years in prison. That's crazy! That's one person's opinion now imposed on everyone. And so when that happened, I got to thinking, damn, abortion rights have not moved forward in 30 years. 30 years ago, I biked across the country trying to change abortion rights in this country. And 30 years ago, it was the same story. States were doing their best to prevent women from having an abortion. What I thought then was, wow, this is so sad. What are we going to do? 30 years later, I saw the change politically for gay rights. 30 years ago, I knew one lesbian. Now, everyone, I mean, right? Like everyone who's a lesbian is out and I know them. And my point is when you're out and everyone knows that there are lesbians in their midst, it's really hard to pass restrictive laws against lesbians when lesbians are your best friends, your sisters, or your mom, or your daughter. And by that rationale, I want every single person who's had an abortion to step forward and say, hey, I've had an abortion, and I'm not a bad person. I had an abortion because I really needed one, because I wasn't in the mindset emotionally, physically, financially, any whatever, to have a baby at that time. What you're really just saying is we have to tell stories so people can understand what people are going through and that it's happening. I'm not saying that just because everyone's doing it, it should be done. I'm saying I do feel like the public needs to know how prevalent abortion is because it's bad people aren't having abortions. People who need abortions are having abortions. And those people happen to be our mothers and sisters and friends and daughters. And abortion is not a bad thing. It's, it's a necessary thing. And that is why we put the call out for abortion stories. And we got really good ones. And all the abortion stories we got told the story for pretty much from the same perspective. And that was, I had an abortion. It was really hard. I didn't like having the abortion, but I do not regret it. Today, we bring you two of those stories from different vantage points in terms of time. It's really important to be aware of where you're standing in time when telling a story. Later in the show, Holly Bullis sets her story in a gynecologist's office the day she has her abortion. Nikki Post, a past student of ours who now lives in Florence, Italy, tells her story 10 years after her abortion. First up is Nikki Post. 
empty room, possessions in boxes. Summer starts, another year gone. I'll be back, finish what I started. Ten years ago, I got an abortion. It wasn't the result of rape or the result of incest. I wasn't in danger. I had no health risks. I just didn't want a baby. From time to time, I think about what age it might be or what my life might be like if I had it. But other than that, I don't think about it, and I've never regretted it. I was 27 and teaching English in South Korea. I met a Canadian man in Korean class. We started talking. We started walking home together after class, and then drinks, then dinners. He was nice enough. I liked his friends. I wasn't particularly attracted to him, but he was funny. He wasn't reliable. More than once, he changed our plans to get drunk with his work buddies. But the more I got to know his friends, the more I liked him. They were fun. He was fun around them. They laughed and danced, had group dinners, and went to live music shows. I wanted to be a part of that. He grew on me. After about three weeks of dating, we had sex for the first time. Nothing memorable. We continued to see each other and have sex as a regular couple. One morning, he had sex and the condom got stuck inside of me. We managed to get it out. He said he hadn't finished, but I continued to worry for the rest of the day. That evening, I met up with a friend. Even though I was sure I was just being paranoid, she convinced me to take the morning after pill. Just in case. The next day, Canadian and I waded through the awkwardness of explaining what I needed in a foreign language, and I took the Korean Plan B. That night I woke up and my body was burning. Every second, my side felt as if a hand reached inside of me and squeezed as hard as it could and then released. Squeeze, release, squeeze, release. I tried to breathe deeply and suffered until the sun came up. I didn't know it yet, but on that day I was already three weeks pregnant. My body was fighting off the chemicals of the pill I had taken. I spent the next several weeks feeling sick. In the morning, late at night, deep, depressive lows that would hit me in the middle of the day and last for hours, for days. I cried a lot. I stopped speaking to my coworkers, and if I did, it was to scowl at them. The thought of melted cheese, which I normally love, made me sick. Weeks later, after another failed attempt at eating a chicken cheese melt sandwich, Canadian and I stared at each other from across the booth. We both knew. He spoke first the words I didn't want to say. Take a pregnancy test. I woke up early the next morning and I peed on a stick. I was anxious. Two minutes felt like an hour. Two lines. I was pregnant. I couldn't breathe. My hands went numb. I felt like I was falling. My vision was blurry. Canadian did his best to console me, but he never seemed stressed. To him, it was like anything else that arises in a relationship. You have a problem, you deal with it, life goes on. I never doubted that abortion was the right choice for me, but it wasn't so simple either. It was scary. It was stressful. It was lonely. 
I wanted an abortion, but I didn't want to have an abortion. I didn't want to go through it. Luckily, I lived in a country that made abortion feel a little less taboo, or at least it felt that way as an outsider. No picketing outside of the clinic, no religiously raised children at rallies or on street corners holding giant posters of fetuses like in my own country, the United States. I went to work that morning and I told my boss I was pregnant. She asked no questions, she had no judgment. Without having to say it out loud, she knew what I wanted to do and she made an appointment. All week leading up to the appointment, I was worried. Less about getting the abortion and more about being told I would have to wait. The clinic had informed my boss that an abortion was impossible before six weeks. It had only been three weeks since the condom got stuck inside of me. I didn't want to wait for weeks, knowing now that I really was pregnant. At the clinic, I took a test, and it was determined I was already seven weeks along. Seven weeks. I had gotten pregnant the first time we ever had sex. And we used a condom. A condom that didn't fall off. A condom that we tied and threw away like normal, like every sex-having adult has done millions of times before. But here I was, seven weeks pregnant. At least I didn't have to wait. I signed the forms, changed my clothes, lay down on the sterile hospital bed, and counted down. Sheep, coo, pal, chill. I woke up staring at an all-white ceiling. I looked over to see my coworker there, next to me, one of the few people who knew beyond my boss and the Canadian. The Canadian wasn't there. The first feeling after waking up was to beg for a trash can. I vomited for the first of many times that evening. My coworker stayed with me until Canadian arrived. I felt less emotional than I had expected to feel. If movies and television were to be believed, I was supposed to feel depressed, sad, regretful, and maybe some women do, but I was relieved it was over. I wasn't ready for a child, not emotionally, not financially, and not with a man I had known less than three months and was still unsure about. Not with a man who suggested strongly that I should not even tell my mother or my friends or anyone. Feeling relieved, however, did not mean I didn't need emotional support. I did. I needed to talk about it. I needed to process it. Neither one of us wanted a child, but I needed to talk about the hypotheticals. I told two friends and my sister, which felt like an act of rebellion. I needed support. But in the morning, the Canadian said, You seem like you're doing fine. I guess I'll go home now. We had made the choice together, but I lived it alone. We created this thing inside of me together, but only I felt it. The Canadian saw it as a regular Friday. He came over, we watched a movie, and he left the next day. He told me he saw it as any other surgery, the same as having foot surgery. Getting your wisdom teeth taken out. He didn't leave work on Friday to spend the evening in a clinic. He never had to wonder how this might affect his body if he ever wanted to have children later. He didn't throw up for hours. He wasn't sick for weeks. 
He never felt something growing inside of his body take over his body. He was there physically, some of the time, but he wasn't interested in talking about it. Not directly after it happened, and not for the two years we ended up staying together. I was alone. Going back to the place where it all began Staring right at the walls and the ceiling Cause it might look the same but it's all changed Now I'm left with this empty feeling and a memory I grew up here long ago Fuck, you know, I... Ah! It makes me, it frustrates me. I know we're not supposed to talk about the content, although the content to me is just, you know, they did everything possible, you know, and still get pregnant. And that that just frustrates me because I think about myself back at that, in that age. And of course, we were all having sex and half the time without even a condom. I'm embarrassed to even say, but. But, but to, about Nikki's story, she did everything right. And she even said she had sex like every, it was a really cool line, like every adult having sex does or so I can't remember the line now but it was such a good good line when she when she and her boyfriend threw away the condom yeah like tied it up and threw it in the trash I was like god I I could use some sex right now so um anyway that's where my mind went about the story okay sorry sorry let's get back to the story so what I think she did really well is she really gave us the facts but she also gave us the emotion and if I can tell you that I say this to you every time you say a story, but in my own stories, I, I, I mess it up as well. I leave out the emotion so often because I'm dying to get to the facts. But in a good story, we have to hear and feel the emotion from the narrator. And she does a great job of this. She told us her emotional feelings, I mean, through describing her physical, like what her body was doing. Right when she woke up early, here it is. I woke up early the next morning and peed on a stick. I was anxious, so we know how she feels. Two minutes felt like two hours. I got two lines. I was pregnant. I couldn't breathe. My hands went numb. I felt like I was falling. My vision was blurry. That's like, that's really hard to do. Like she used these really quick sentences and she described herself physically so we knew exactly how she was feeling emotionally. This I will say that this essay really made me um it it really made me understand what it feels like to not be ready for a baby and I felt for her cuz I was like fucking hell I I just carrying carrying these babies is difficult raising these kids is so hard every day that I can't imagine having to deal with all that stuff if you're not really really wanting it like like we were you know Another thing that she said that I wanted to mention, which is relevant to this episode, is Canadian didn't want her to tell. And she needed to tell. When she says that he he handled this experience like it was just any other operation, that's bullshit. Because any other operation you're allowed to talk about. But he did not want her to tell even her mother. He was stigmatizing this whole experience for her. And that that really, not, when I heard it just now, that really made me angry. I, I mean, I think that's true for most people out there who are keeping secrets, that they, they fear the way um, they'll be seen if they reveal whatever they've gone through. But 
But the the truth of the matter is, is if we don't get them out, we live with them and we it, it really wreaks havoc. And that is not if we don't get our secrets out. Yes, we have to get our secrets out and people love us more. Yeah. Right. Don't you love me more now? I do. Thank you. I love you so much more for telling me that you have sex without a condom all the time. No, not all the time. Come on. I haven't had sex in ages, so uh, there's been no chance for that anyway. Back after the break. We're back. You're listening to Writing Class Radio, and this is Allison Langer. Up next is a story from listener Holly Bullis from Boulder, Colorado. She's a writer, reader, and runner. Her blog is called The Underside of Leaves which is linked in our show notes. Here's Holly. The morning of my doctor's appointment, I wore my Wonder Woman underwear. They're blue with a red waistband, images of Wonder Woman on the front and white polka dots on the back. I imagine them like a little bikini of armor covering the weakest part of me. I talked to myself on the drive across town. It was raining lightly, and my windshield wipers pulsed in rhythm to my voice. You're just going in for a checkup. Swipe bump. They're going to tell you everything is fine. Swipe bump. Stop worrying. Swipe bump. You're not pregnant. Swipe bump. At the receptionist window, I said, I'd like a pregnancy test. I spoke like I was talking about someone else. Someone very important. It felt easier somehow. The nurse handed me a cup and asked for urine. The square hospital bathroom was designed as your grandmother's bathroom, more comfortable than it was. A little doily sat on the porcelain tank behind the toilet, a wicker basket from TJ Maxx stocked with toilet paper and pads hid in the corner. There was another small table with a doily and medical brochures. I pictured this being the fateful place where other women deposited the urine that would confirm their pregnancy, where they sat at their leisure, leafing through pregnancy magazines and what-to-expect brochures as they dreamed about their future little ones. These comforts weren't aimed at me. For the record, no one dislikes pregnancy magazines more than a woman who might be, but definitely doesn't want to be pregnant. Later, in the small square exam room, I sat on the faux leather bench covered in parchment paper. There was a stiff cotton frock for me, which I left folded on a chair. I was nervous, and I wanted to be fully clothed when we talked about the test results. The midwife was tall, with curly reddish hair. She looked me in the eyes as she sat on the stool and rolled close to me. She held my file upright on her knee and said it quickly. Your test results came back. You're pregnant. I felt tears instantly, goosebumps all over my body. The fine mammalian hairs on my skin stood on end. My scalp felt hot and prickly. The first emotion I could register was anger. I had done everything right. I grew up in a rural town with sex education that focused mostly on abstinence. Like unconnected parents, the school system pretended that telling teenagers not to have sex or ignoring that they were would stop them from having it. Really, it only stopped them from having it safely. As a result, I saw a lot of unplanned pregnancies and young people becoming parents. I wanted to make sure that wouldn't happen to me. 
I got in birth control before I even started having sex, and when I did, we always used condoms. All through college, I was vigilant. Once I even rushed to Walgreens at midnight, immediately after a condom broke, to buy a plan B. My senior year of college was when I finally got the IUD and stopped using condoms with my long-term monogamous partner. I felt pretty safe. IUDs are over 99% effective. The ultrasound technician used a cold, unsatisfying dildo to take pictures of my uterus. She worked it around inside me with mechanical precision. Based on the size of the blastula, the fluid-filled sac surrounding the embryo, she said I was five weeks along. She printed out a picture, a five-by-seven shot of a white speck in a large circle of black, and off to the side, a silver T-shaped IUD. I threw the picture in the trash. I was only 23 years old. Fresh out of college, I hadn't even got a chance to start my career or consider going to grad school. I wouldn't be able to support myself and a baby. I would have to ask for money, ask my 21-year-old partner, worse yet, my parents. My partner and I had been together for a while, and things were going well. We still had things we wanted, needed to do, career moves and financial risks we would never take if a baby was involved. A baby was a forever neither of us was prepared for. The midwife explained how a medical abortion would work, how I would take a strong pill and feel cramps, and that I would bleed a lot. She gave me the number to a clinic, told me I would have to schedule an appointment and then wait three days. It's North Carolina law that you have to wait to, I guess, consider your actions. Each step away, each moment I was still pregnant, felt like falling down a hole. Going deeper and deeper into a prison, I would never be offered parole. I didn't want this. I had already done so much to prevent this. That's bullshit. My voice was deep from crying. The midwife looked at me with big green eyes and waited for me to say more. This is a gynecologist's office. All of the equipment to perform an abortion is right here. Why can't you help me? She left the room and came back with an older doctor. White coat, silver hair, and a bit of a paunch. When he came into the room, I shook his hand with a strong grip. I knew I was crying, but I tried to speak loud and clear. I'm pregnant, and I don't want to be. Can you help me? He sat down in the stool and looked at my chart. I can try to take your IUD out. If I do, you'll have a strong chance of miscarriage. How strong? I asked. About 75%, he replied. Can you make it 100? I was still shaking, but I cracked a smile. I could see him starting to understand. It felt like my whole body had the hiccups when I lay back on the exam bench and propped my legs in the stirrups. I knew with more certainty than I had ever known anything that I would not have this baby. It was like a pap smear, but deeper. More like getting an IUD placed. It felt like a sharp tool was poking around in my uterus for 30 minutes. I sang Christmas songs to this textured ceiling. The midwife held my hand. When the doctor finished, I shook his hand again before he left the room. I wonder now if he knew what I would go through later. I was home in bed when I woke up that night. A pad the size of a peanut butter sandwich was between me and my Wonder Woman underwear. The cramps reminded me of the time I swallowed a parasite in Costa Rica. 
Every couple minutes, I got a cramp in my lower abdomen, like I was about to expel a lot of diarrhea. I sat on the toilet as the contractions intensified. It felt like hours, suspended in a painful limbo. I couldn't stop shaking. I reached my hand between my legs and felt a smooth, squishy ball crowning. I miscarried a red golf ball of cells into the toilet. It sunk down the pipe before I could study it. I flushed. My vagina felt like an open wound. Tired and still bleeding, I covered myself, pulling up my underwear lined with a fresh pad and lay back down. I curled up to my partner in bed and fell asleep. I'll never know if it would have been worth it to go through with the pregnancy, to deal with the likely birth defects and complications due to the IUD still being present. I'll never know what my baby's name would have been or how it would have felt to have their tiny body on my chest after delivery. I'll never get to watch them discover bubbles or learn if they like car rides or swings better. I'll never get to be their mom. But I hope one day I'll get the privilege of being someone's mom. Just cause I said I can't be with you No that don't mean, no that don't mean That I don't want to Cause you're in my head Yeah I think about you When he's not around I let myself, let myself miss you So she really does want to be a mom someday, but just not now. And we see it. We see the IUD she's had implanted. We She's like even wearing a condom with the freaking IUD, right? Yeah. I, I don't want to be judgmental about people who don't do everything right, but she did everything right. They both did. Both Nikki and Holly. And still she got pregnant. So she also did a great job of describing exactly what was going on and how she felt, right? I felt tears instantly, goosebumps all over my body. The fine mammalian hairs on my skin stood on end. My scalp felt hot and prickly. The first emotion I could register was anger. She does that same exact thing that Nikki did where she describes emotion through physical descriptions. That's so hard to do. So good. And the part where she says, I felt my whole body had the hiccups when I lay back on the exam bench and prop my leg in the stirrups. It was so well done because we always say like, oh, you know, I I was shivery or like we use these sort of terms that everyone hears and almost passes over. But like my body had the hiccups was original. Yeah, I've never heard that before. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was just like shakety, shakety. Excellent. And I mean, I've I've been in not that situation, but I haven't. I had an ectopic pregnancy, and I remember laying on the table, and I was freaking convulsing. It was a so painful, but I was just my whole body. And then when you come out of the medication, your body is just like hiccuping all over the place. So I just, I right then when she said that, I was like right back to that moment, which is just amazing to do as a writer. Didn't you love the part where she said, I sang Christmas songs to the textured ceiling? I was like, this is such a sweet girl. I know. I felt it too. Yes. She was just trying to cope. Both these narrators do not take pregnancy lightly. They were both like freaked out when they found out they were pregnant because both of them knew that they couldn't have a baby right now. Holly said she she described it as going deeper and deeper into prison where she would be where she'd never be offered parole 
that's a really interesting way to describe the foreverness of being a parent when you don't want to be. And and she's not she's not a wimp. She passes, I miscarried a red golf ball of cells into the toilet. It sunk down the pipe before I could study it. I flushed. I mean, fucking hell. That's amazing. Like, she was done with it. And we get it. She didn't say I was done with it. She said I flushed. And we just get it. I want to talk about the way both of these narrators set up their stories. Actually, I want to talk about where each narrator is standing in time in their stories. So Nikki Post is writing her story from 10 years out. And um, Holly is telling her story from the day she's telling it. It's set in the day that she's having her abortion. And sometimes that gets confusing when you're writing. I, I know for me, sometimes I'm like, wait, am I telling this with distance? Am I telling this in the moment? And both of these narrators, I thought, did a really good job of keeping that straight. Like I was never once confused about where, where we were in time. What I thought Holly did really well was, was tell the story from the perspective of being that day. But we know that there's, we know that she's not 23 now. So we know that she has distance and she's gotten clarity but still, the story takes place from her 23-year-old perspective. How do we know she has distance and clarity just by the way she started? No, because she really just starts on that day. We don't actually know that she has distance and clarity. She says, I'll never know if it would have been worth it to go through. She kind of thinks about the future, but she doesn't. she's not in the future looking back. Hmm. Huh, that's a tr- good question. She describes this one moment in her life and what how it impacted her right then. And we get a sense of, but I hope one day I'll get the privilege of being someone's mom. So she kind of tells us, like, I did this thing and I'm not sure how it's going to affect me, but I'm going to be open to see where it goes. I don't know why I get the feeling that she's not 23 anymore. Um, Does it matter, though? No, I guess it doesn't. But I do feel like this is a narrator who can handle her material really well. I have a feeling that it happened some years ago because there's so much confidence in her writing. Maybe that's why I have a sense that she has distance. Yeah, maybe. And I also think it's a good lesson. And sometimes when we write things, we don't have to bring them all the way to the the present to see, to have it be a good story and to see how it's impacted us. Because we get, I think, that she's she is looking towards the future and I think looking towards the future is enough and then Nikki's story so she lets us know that she stayed with this guy for two more years so we get that this all happened um 10 years ago I think the point of Nikki's story I think Nikki's story is about I had I had an abortion and I was alone and um and I think Holly's story is about I had an abortion that I really had to fight for and she is Wonder Woman. She had to she had to tell that doctor to take out her IUD now and make it a hundred percent effective in terms of a hundred percent I will miscarry tonight. But uh, ultimately neither of them have regretted it, right? And, so and, far. Right. And and neither of life. them have regretted it. We ask for stories. We ask 
generally for abortion stories. And we got several, I don't remember how many we got. We got a lot of stories and all of the stories came from women who'd had abortions and none of them regretted it. And then um, we thought, hmm, maybe we should look into, you know, people who have abortions and maybe do regret it. So I put a call out on well, we put another call out for abortion stories where women may have regretted their abortion. And I put that out on Binders. And Binders is a group for women on Facebook. It's um, where women connect and talk about writing. And I was slammed. And um, I thought about it. People were really pissed. And I thought about it and did some research. Like, why, are, why is everybody so pissed? And I did some research and I, re- and I learned that 95% of all women who have abortions don't regret it. I got that statistic from The Guardian. And um, so we... Um, so I realized then that... Or we realized then that including a story where a woman regretted her abortion would set up a false equivalent. This story is the main story. Nine 95% of the stories out there are by, are about not regretting abortions. So that's the story. Those are the stories we're telling on this podcast. This, this episode is not to, to convince people that they should get an abortion or that they should believe in abortion. I mean, what we want with this episode is just to have people tell their story. That's it. Because if people tell their story, the man, the woman, we will be able to understand each other, just like any stories that we tell. So that is the point. We are just wanting people to get their stories into the world so people will have a better idea of what other people go through. Oh, that's so nice. Right. Because, right, whatever political perspective you hold or someone holds, everybody's story matters. But this, the, the story of a woman having an abortion and not regretting it is really the primary predominant story around abortion. And that's why we're telling these two stories in this episode. Quick correction on Nikki's story. Doctors count gestation at two weeks the day a woman gets pregnant. So Nikki's numbers don't exactly add up. But her point is she was already pregnant when the condom got stuck inside her. And Holly said her Wonder Woman underwear covered the weakest part of her. Is the vagina the weakest part or the strongest? Just asking. Thank you, Nikki and Holly, for sharing your stories with us. And thank you for listening. If you want more Nikki Post, you can hear more stories on our podcast. She's a regular. She's on episode 12, 14, 23, and 35. We'll add all the links to our show notes. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Christine Corey. Additional music by Emia and Poddington Bear. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by the Launchpad at the University of Miami. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. Contact us at info at writingclassradio.com. And if you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button. And check out the writing classes and publishing insights we're giving our Patreon supporters. $10 a month gets you an all-access pass to Andrea's publishing conversations, discussions, questions, everything. $25 a month gets you a writing class a week with me. The writing classes are via Zoom meeting and are for one hour, every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time. We will write to a prompt and share what we wrote. A new episode will drop the first Wednesday of the month, so look for us. 
There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.